Hello, and welcome to episode 26 of Talk Witchcraft Podcast. In this episode, Maggie and I will be talking all about protection magic and defensive witchcraft. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft. On this podcast, we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. We're, We're your, your hosts, hosts, the Mystic Sisters, Sisters, Erica and Maggie. So in this segment of the show, we choose a tarot card for the week, and we look for moments that relate to this card in our daily lives. For this episode, we chose the Two of Cups. The theme of this card is coming together in partnership, and this card is really the love card. Some people talk about the lovers being the love card, but I think the Two of Cups is a better representation of love. This card is so sweet and tender and not really sexual necessarily, but there is a closeness between these two people where they are trusting one another to hold their love with care. When it comes to the longevity of a romantic relationship, you want to see the Two of Cups. Do you have a story about the Two of Cups, Maggie? Yeah. So my husband and I play this game called Bread and Butter, which I learned from our parents where if you have to separate from one another while you're walking on the sidewalk, like going around a, a pole in the sidewalk or uh, like a meat, like a um, planter or something, then you say bread and butter. And that is an indication that you're going to be together forever. And yesterday we were walking down the sidewalk and we um, we're holding hands. And so instead of separating, we both tried to go different directions around a palm tree because in Florida we have palm trees. And the um, and when we we got into like a little tiff about, well, we should go this way. No, we should go this way. And uh, then we talked about why our way was the better way. And it turns out that Dana, my husband, was pushing me um into the shade because he knew that I like to walk in the shade and I was pulling him away from the tables because I didn't want him to run into them. So we were, we were thinking about each other's needs uh, for why we wanted to go the way rather than, you know, thinking about our own needs first. And I just thought it was really cute. And it reminded me of the two of cups because there is that like levelness, everything is about equality and thinking about the other person's needs above your own or equal to your own. And it was sweet. <laughs> That's very sweet. Do you have a story, Erica? Yeah. Um, so I live with um, two other people and we are in a polyamorous relationship and we call it our polycule. Um, like a molecule because we're all come together and you know our our little hinges that we make with one another kind of looks like the scientific drawings of molecules and um, when we first started you know living together and figuring out expenses and all that stuff we were talking about if we should do it splitting everything equally or I had mentioned that some friends of mine, they split up their expenses based on income. So the partner who has a lower income has a lower percentage of what they um, 
contribute to the household in more of an equitable situation so that they're they're not feeling overtaxed while the person who makes more money is you know feeling just fine and it really it's it feels to me like the two of cups because it's about that partnership and about that coming together and 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 communicating and talking and um working through what could have been a really big problem but discussing it beforehand and making it um, equal for all all parties involved, and it's um, it, it, that that initial conversation just opened up the the rest of our relationship to making sure that we are communicating about saying about things. And uh, we have just a house rule that if a person doesn't feel like they can contribute to a particular project on the house or whatever, they can say, I don't want to take part in this project. Um, you know, this is, this is what I feel comfortable doing, or I can't do it monetarily. So this is how I'm going to help around the house. And it, it just really feeds that partnership piece. I think that's really important the the open communication as well as the um like equity of con- contributions whether that's financial or labor or whatever. So, should we get into the main topic for this week? Yeah, that sounds good. What is our topic? We're talking about defensive witchcraft. Oh, okay, perfect. So, let's talk about why it's important to talk about defensive magic and witchcraft. I personally believe that it is an absolute necessity for witches to practice some type of protective magic. Um, where When we are practicing witchcraft, when we're using magic and accessing that flow of energy, we test the laws of the universe. And in some cases, we might be provoking some sort of unknown force that can lead to consequences, good or bad, and we can't always control or predict what those consequences are going to be. So defensive magic is how you can guard yourself, you can guard the people in your home as well that you might be opening up to these unknown forces, um, and your home in general, so your property or or your uh, if you're renting, then your rented area. Um, so through protection magic, you can use spells that are for banishment or binding of malicious spirits or toxic people. You can ward against psychic attacks. You can ward against baneful spirits, uh, baneful spells. And you can also consider protective magic to be releasing things like thought forms or stagnant energy. And if you're unfamiliar with what thought forms are, then check out the episode called How Witchcraft Works. I think that's the one where I talked about thought forms before. So is there anything you would like to add, Erica? Yeah, I think it's really important to protect yourself. And it can be done either before you're starting your spell work or after and or it can be done um, in anticipation for something that might be coming up. You know, if you've got a contentious conversation coming up or, uh, you know, any any kind of way to just give yourself that peace of mind and let yourself um, feel safe and protected. Yeah, exactly. Because that's kind of what it's about is it it gives you that peace of mind and helps you to to feel that you're protected just by doing the actions of protecting yourself. 
So now let's talk about how we protect ourselves from those magical dangers. Um, and if you ask me, the most effective thing to do is to actually integrate preventative measures into the practice rather than uh, what might be more protective that we'll talk about later. And to me, this means creating a sacred space. So can you tell us what a sacred space is, Erica? Sure. A sacred space is a designated area that is distinct from your daily life. So it's separate from your work, from relationships, from your errands. It's anything that is um, a place of calm and centering. You can invite sacredness into any area of your life, but I also think that it's important to create a space that's free from any external aspects. Yeah, exactly. Um, like a sacred space is somewhere special. And like you said, it, it invites, or it's a place where you can feel more centered. You can ground yourself. It encourages being more quiet. It encourages um, reflection, internal thinking. And so it's just a place you can go to be with yourself and to receive any sort of intuitive messages. And there are three important things to consider when creating a sacred space for yourself. Can you tell us the first thing, Maggie? Yeah, the first thing is where you want your sacred to be or your sacred space to be and how big it should be. So I personally consider my whole house to be a sacred space, but it could be a single room if you are in more of a shared space and the people you live with don't necessarily uh, prescribe to your belief system. It could also be a corner of a room if you only have, or if you have just, uh, like if you live in a dorm room or something and you share your room with someone. So you might have your own corner of a room that would be sacred. It could even just be a shelf that you have where you would set up an altar of some kind. And that is um, an example of a sacred space is an altar. I have a variety of altars around my home as well. And one of my favorite is actually our marriage altar where we keep our wedding memory box that my dad, our dad, Erica and my dad and our grandmother made for us. And Erica actually made us a blessing jar, my husband and I, and she presented that to us at our wedding. So I keep those kinds of things on our marriage altar. So that altar for us is a reminder of the sacredness of our marriage. And it, we can see that daily. So do you have any sort of sacred space, Erica, that you keep. Yeah. Um, and before I talk about my sacred space, I just wanted to comment. You know, I was thinking about when you were talking about the dorm room, not all of us may be out of the broom closet. So it would be hard to set up any sort of altar in a dorm room or, you know, I, I just think back to my dorm life. Um, and I lived with a really conservative Christian and having an altar in our dorm would have made her sacred space uncomfortable. And um, so it doesn't have to be this ornate, elaborate altar with goddess statues and candles, and but just even just having a, a candle or a incense um, thing. What are those called? <laughs> um, or, or a incense burner. Those that can kind of visually make it your sacred space, but might not be so overt. Uh, and then save the really ornate things for when you have your own home, which is a really exciting thing to do, which brings me to my sacred space. I just moved into my house in November and it was really exciting for me to be able to carve out a spot for my altar that wasn't, you know, 
in the corner or pushed to the side or, you know, just in a convenient spot. It was a place that I could really set up and, um, you know, make it as big and grandiose as I wanted. And it has all of my different uh, altar cloths on it and it has all of my uh, witchcraft materials in it. And so it's, it's this contained space that it was really special to me. So that is my, you know, my witchcraft sacred space. But then I also, because like I mentioned, live with two other people, they're totally fine with my practice and they think it's really cool and they ask me about it. But we are three individuals and we all three have common living areas and we have our own personal areas. And um, I wouldn't feel comfortable putting a, a sacred space around some of those common areas because other people are coming in on, out of it all the time. And it's not, I can't necessarily protect it in, in every aspect. And so for me in my house, my bedroom and then my craft table are, and then my office area, which is actually right next to my altar. Those are my sacred spaces where I can go and be my myself and it, it doesn't belong to anybody else. Yeah. I think that's a really important um, thing to consider. And that actually brings us into our Next thing, the second factor of creating a sacred space is, uh, do you want to tell us what that is, Erica? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, it's So you want to ask yourself what the guidelines of your space are. So, you know, ask yourself what kind of activities you'll allow inside it. Can you read, write, eat, have sex, play, uh, play games, wear clothes, dance? What, like, what are those things that you can do? Are electronics allowed? What type of music is played? Are there other creatures and beings allowed to enter it? So, you know, my whole house, I feel like, is a very safe space for me, like Maggie does. But because there's lots of people, um, there's three people, and then there's all their friends and, you know, all the stuff. There's a dog and a cat, and um, there's a lot of movement, a lot of energy. So, um in those sacred spaces, I have to be a little bit more relaxed with my, um, with what I allow. You know, we've got um, TVs, we've got phones, we've got all this stuff, um, all different types of music that's being played. But in my space, at my craft table, at my office, uh, in my bedroom, I can say, uh, you know, like I can close the door or my, my polycule knows that they don't touch anything on my craft table because it's in a very specific place where I know where I can get it when I next pick up, pick up that craft. Um, and they have to ask to use things like, for example, Kim, um, she is very into plants and she uses yarn, my yarn, to help label her plants. But she asks me every single time before she goes and grabs a, a thing of yarn. Um, even though, like, there, we've established, like, yes, she can use it. But it's still that um, nicety of, hey, Erica, can I grab some yarn? Yeah. Even if it is, like, a, you, you almost always say yes or probably always do, having that boundary of, I still need you to ask her. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like you mentioned, I designated my entire house as sacred and I try to maintain it that way. So there's a, there's, 
you know, there's few things that my husband and I don't allow um, in our in our home and in our sacred space. But we did recently get a sign that says, please don't do Coke in our bathroom. So there's one rule. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably a good rule. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we, we, it's like you were saying exactly. There's electronics, obviously, but I do have a sacred space set up. That's my witchcraft altar in the office and, and people don't touch that. Actually, we had an electrician come in to check the outlets in there and he moved it and he broke a statue. (laughs) No. He felt really bad though. And he ordered a new one, but that reestablished the rule of please don't touch my altar. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe I should move it before I have electricians come in and who have to access the wall behind it. Um, Anyway, that was an aside. So let's talk about the third uh, sacred space factor, which is to incorporate something that stimulates all of your senses. So for me personally, I view magic as dependent on the connection between the spirit realm and the physical realm and the experiences that we have in those two places. So I find it's helpful to enhance that physical experience through incorporating tools and materials and all sorts of things that will stimulate those physical sensations and that will enhance those in the spirit realm as well and we all know there's five senses so um, let's each share a practice that we might do to stimulate each each of those senses or just one Um, so I'll go first I have trained myself over the years to quickly enter into a more calm state or to enter into a meditative state by eating a specific kind of chocolate, which is the Choco Love with dried raspberries in it. It's delicious. <laughs> but I only eat that right before I want to do a spell work or ritual or meditation. And it helps me to know that that's a transition point. So I keep that in my sacred space and it's part, and that experience of meditation is also part of you know, the sacredness um, is entering that meditative mind space. So do you have a favorite favorite physical sense, Erica, and do you do anything to incorporate that into your sacred space? Yeah, um, so I was just thinking what what I use, what are what are my things that I use every single time? And it's really candles. Uh, and I, so I think the reason for that is that it's tapping into my visual and my, and my smelling senses, uh, you know, like the, I, the being able to smell the, you know, the smoke or the, even the flame itself, but then the candle, the scent coming off of the candle. Um, I have a candle at every single one of my sacred spaces that I just talked about because, um, and, and I do this little ritual and I didn't even realize it was that I, every time I sit down to do a craft, I light the candle first. Every time I sit down to um, work at my computer, I light the candle first. So I think that that smell of the candle and then the visual um, of seeing the light flickering is is a way for me to make it a sacred space and um, kind of focus and let me know what I'm doing. I was also just thinking um, you and me and our mom are reading The Spiral Dance by Starhawk. And she talks a lot about the younger self and how the younger self operates in um, pictures and childlike things. And I was thinking that these uh, senses 
are really great way to uh, tap into the younger self so that we can reach that sacred place and, and talk with our younger self. Yeah. And I liked what you were, that what you've kind of been saying throughout this of your craft space being sacred, because I think a lot of people do consider um, those more like you might consider that to be more mundane, but anything can become a ritual or can become sacred because you set that intention of, you know, lighting the candle, like you said, or, or me with eating chocolate before something, but something that I want to make into a ritual. Um, and I think like, that's my main belief with magic is that everything is magic as if you set the intention that it is a ritual or a, or a practice that you're engaging in. So, so should we take a break and tell our listeners about our sponsor? Yeah, this episode is sponsored by Mumbles and Things. We have a sacred space workbook, which is all about creating a sacred space. And this is a workbook that guides you through the step-by-step process to create a space that aligns with your magical and spiritual life. With each step, you will be guided on how to become more present in your experience of the world using all of your senses, like we've been talking about, and setting boundaries and those guidelines like we also talked about, setting your intentions for various types of altars, learning how to create a temporary sacred space through casting a circle. And I created this workbook because a sacred space looks different from one person to the next based on what they think of as sacred. So Erica might consider crafting to be sacred, where I might consider writing to be sacred. And those are two different practices. So our spaces are going to look different. So if you would like, if you're interested in this workbook, you can download it from mumblesandthings.com. It's in the drop-down menu under Magical Workbooks. You can also check the show notes at mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash 026. So now let's get back to your regularly scheduled episode. Maggie, I find that another important part of preventing magical dangers is to regularly practice energy cleansing. I totally agree, Erica. Can you tell us what cleansing is? Yeah. Cleansing is the act of removing unwanted energies from a person, place, or object. It removes the bond that holds that energy in place and allows it to become neutral. When I'm cleansing, I like to um, take candles or, uh, you know, some sort of cleansing herb pod thing um, and walk around my house and just kind of uh, talk to the house. Sometimes I'll do a chant. When we first moved into this house, you know, I wanted to get rid of the energy of the previous owner. So, you know, we opened up all the doors and all the windows and I walked to each threshold and kind of ushered the energy out and encouraged it that, you know, it was time to find a new place to be and uh, just kind of made it our own space and our own with our own energy. How do you cleanse, Maggie? Mostly I light incense. Pretty much daily I have incense burning. Um, But I find that my favorite way to cleanse energy is to play music that makes me feel the way that I want the space to feel and to sing and, and music that makes me want to sing along so that I know the words to and music that's really like upbeat usually so I can dance um, because I feel like that really gets the energy moving because I'm moving. And 
um, part of this is also because I think a really important stage of cleansing that a lot of people might forget is to fill that neutral space that Erica mentioned, that, that the cleansing removes the bonds of the energy and makes it into more neutral. Um, that space is going to, that neutral space is going to fill with something. And so Erica, you were talking about wanting to make the space your own by putting your own energy in after removing the previous owners. And, and so for me, I can do that with the music as well by um, how I want the space to feel. I play that music, I'm dancing, I want to feel like energized and motivated in most areas in my home. So, so that's kind of my favorite way to cleanse is to, to dance and sing and jump around and stuff. <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. So before we continue on how to protect yourself from various magical dangers, let's talk about the herb of the week. This episode is brought to you by catnip. So Erica, can you tell us about the medicinal properties of catnip? Yeah. So while catnip might send cats into a frenzy, it's actually very calming for children and adults alike. So the Latin name for catnip is Nepeta cataria, and which I just love because it's got pet and cat in it. And so it's just a great name. Um, it is also part of the mint family. We talked last episode about lemon balm. Um, and so we're just on a mint, mint kick this season. You can really tell a plant is from the mint family by their leaves. They've got a very serrated edge and the texture of it is almost scale-like. Their, their little uh, leaf cell pods are very defined and um, you, can, you can usually see it's almost bumpy and scaly like a, like a lizard. Um, so... With catnip, again, we use the leaves and we they can be used for a variety of reasons. Um, they're anti-spasmodic, like the lim lemon balm. They're an aromatic, they're an anti-diarrheal if you need it for that particular reason. It's an astringent, so you can use it to... Um, on your face for toning. Um, it's a digestive. So a lot of people will have a catnip tea before they uh, eat dinner so that they can help stimulate their uh, digestive system. Um, it's an amenagogue, which is for the uterus owners, helps with um, natural um, menstrual flows. It's a nervine and a sedative, and it can help with stomach aches. So a lot of people use it for upset stomachs, uh, for any kind of trouble sleeping and stress relief. It's good for colds and flus. It's an excellent herb for children. Uh, we always have to pay attention uh, for our young friends that we're not giving them harmful plants. So there's a lot of plants that we can consume as adults that are not good for children, but catnip and mint, any kind of mint is going to be great for kids. Well, that's good because yes. of when we used to make our mint tea and as right. kids. <laughs> <laughs> Which was really just muddled mint in dirty hose water. And like a ton of sugar. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so it's good for teething. It's good for colic. It's good for any kind of fussiness. Uh, so really great for children. Um, and then we can also use it for anxiety and headaches. Usually it's uh, prepared in a tea or you can also make it in a tincture, which is best for um, those babies when they're needing it for colic that you can just rub the tincture on their teeth um, for the teething and general crankiness. What are the magical properties of catnip, Maggie? Well, catnip is a passive herb and it is associated with the cancer zodiac sign, which is why we're talking about it right now. It is also associated with the planet Venus and the fire and water elements. So you can use catnip for any spell or ritual with the purpose of abundance, beauty, protection, working with cats and cat spirits, and love. So as you probably know, and Erica mentioned it, catnip is very attractive to cats, which is why it has the name catnip. And it is uh, that makes it a really wonderful addition to any spell that you are in the need of um, the aid of a cat spirit. So if you're trying to work with a cat spirit or a cat deity, then you might want to incorporate catnip to attract them to your spell work. Um, additionally, it can be used to attract whatever you desire. So for that same reason that it's attracted to cats, it's attractive to your desires, like a cat to the nip. So it's thought that catnip mim mimics cat pheromones, which is why it is a common ingredient in love spells. Uh, it's especially, um, and that's also because of the association with Venus, the use in love spells. So if you pair it with another Venus herb like roses or something like that, then that would be a good uh, pairing for a love spell. Cats are associated with protection and particularly uh, detecting danger. If you think about like the cat whiskers, they're very sensitive to changes in their environment. So if you're lucky enough to come across a stray cat whisker, like if you have cats and they leave their whiskers around, then you can add those to a charm bag with the catnip, hang that over windows or doors and um, or in any sort of high traffic area in your home. And that can be a really good protective charm. And you can use catnip in glamour magic. So that can be used to provide you with uh, like cat-like agility and stealth. So you're almost, you're using glamour magic to become more cat-like. And because of its correspondence with Venus, as I mentioned before, it's also useful for beauty spells or glamour spells in general, presenting yourself as more youthful, more playful, um, and more glamorous. Dramatic. Since catnip is in the mint family, as Erica mentioned, it grows really rapidly and prolifically, as we also talked about with lemon balm. And for the same reason, it's really good for spells focused on abundance or for making a spell um, work more quickly. You can, instead of harvesting it and using it in a spell, you can actually use it as like a attractant in your yard. So you can you can plant it and grow it along your walkways. And that will attract abundance to your home. It's also a protection uh, ward in a way by growing it. But you might also attract all of the neighborhood cats as well. So be prepared for that. <laughs> so let's get back to our main topic of protection magic. So far, we've discussed preventative defensive magic. So let's look at defensive magic that protects. Um, so we were going to look at three types of protective spells 
Maggie, can you tell us the difference between binding, banishing, and warding? Sure. So warding is what you do to prevent harm from reaching you. So if some, if a baneful spirit or a, another witch or a, or a person who has a malicious intent towards you, that a ward can prevent any of that harm from actually um, meeting its target, which would be you or your home or your loved ones. Banishing is how you reflect or release the harm after it's already gotten to you. So if you if you feel like you've been cursed or hexed or or anything like that, or if you have created thought forms in your mind that are limiting you, those things can be banished. And then binding is what prevents harm from being directed to you in the first place. So you can bind a politician from you know, doing something that would negatively imp- impact your community, or you can bind um, a spirit from from haunting your home, or you can bind a abusive person from coming near you or from harming anyone else. So do you have any examples of wards or binds or banishment spells that you've done, Erica? Yeah, um, this was actually the most powerful magic I've ever done, which is, and it's still going, which is great. So I had a pretty toxic person in my life um, about three or four years ago. And Uh, everything that was coming at me from her was causing anxiety, causing uh, stress, you know, worry. She was threatening lawsuits. It was just not a great, she's just not a good person. Um, And so what I did was I found a ritual that was for binding. And um, basically I carved her name on the candle. I burned the candle all the way down, saving the wax. Um, And then I put the wax in a little glass bottle and I bound it with a piece of black thread and then sealed the top. And then I went to a place away from my house because I didn't want any of that energy there. And I just buried it. I just buried it and it was out of the way. So I don't go by it very often. And that energy, I just took it away. And all of a sudden the emails stopped, the phone calls stopped there, like nothing, like there was no more contact from her. And, um, you know, at first I didn't really think about it being related to the, I, you know, it was a binding, banishing spell. Um, but then as as the other things kept popping up where um, I would hear about her and think, oh gosh, now I'm going to have to deal with her again. But then I never would. And then just recently I had another encounter um, where a new friend had been talking with this person about me. And I was like, oh man, this is a, uh, moment that, you know, the toxic person could completely throw me under the bus. She could do, you know, all kinds of, say t- all kinds of terrible things about me, but either the new friend didn't care or the toxic person was, you know, an adult human for once, or my binding spell worked and she was unable to be, throw me under the bus. Um, so it's, it's really nice to know that that intention that I put out there that said like, you can't harm me anymore is still in effect. Mm. 
And so that, that's my protection spell story. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Maggie? Well, I, I like to, mine's going to be less impressive than yours, but I (laughs) like to write things down on a piece of toilet paper and flush it anytime that like if I have a limit, if I have a limiting belief. So I've been doing that a lot with all, all of my like RSD from ADHD. Rejection sensitivity dysphoria. That I, if I'm feeling particularly sensitive or if I'm feeling particularly rejected, I'll just write it on a piece of paper and I will flush it down the toilet. And that it doesn't work forever, but it works enough to get me through it in that moment. And then the next time it comes up, I just write another thing on the piece of toilet paper and flush <laughs> it. And um, it just is really helpful because it it reminds me that those things are shit and they don't matter. <laughs> those thoughts are not real and they're waste. It's a waste of my time to consider them. So I just need to flush it with the wastewater and send it to be processed somewhere else. <laughs> and so... Yeah. That's that's been really helpful for just getting me through those really sensitive feelings. And it's really easy. <laughs> it's not yeah. too ritual. It's just like you go into the bathroom, you flush your toilet paper. <laughs> and it's so, effective. So yeah. <laughs> very, very symbolic. Exactly. And then one other thing that I have set up as a ward. And uh, Erica, do you remember those um, little figurines I had as a kid or we had them they were they're technically mine because I got them for my birthday but I shared them very well <laughs> there were those like Africa safari animals yes I remember that <laughs> <laughs> well I took some of them from mom and dad's house and I have them above like different windows and door frames in the house um, and I just think of them as watchtowers so they're looking out for me and making sure that no harm is coming in preventing it and um, like if anyone comes to our house with a bad attitude, they'd leave it at the door because the little lion cub isn't going to let them in. Yeah. So they have a bad attitude. <laughs> so, so I have those little figurines and then I have some that came out of like Kinder Eggs and funny things like that, like a Gumby. Um, so, yeah, my little watchtower. That's fun. Yeah. You got to have some whimsy in your life. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. And they just look like we have a little, um, you know, statues and figurines around. Yeah. Nobody knows what they are. Well, now they will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's time to move on to our moon magic assess- assignment for this week. The moon is waning. We had the full moon, and so now the moon is declining, getting smaller, and we're about to get to the last quarter phase, which is when the moon is half full or half empty, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) But the way I see the quarter phases, both the waxing half and the waning half is a time to observe challenges and obstacles that are in your path. So whatever's blocking you from moving forward. Now with the first quarter moon, which which is during the waxing half of the cycle, it's a time to look at those obstacles, but not stop the forward momentum to remove them. Um, So it's more like a hurdle. Like if you're running a track, you jump over the hurdle. Or if you find find yourself facing a wall, you walk around the wall, you don't take the wall down. Um, But at the last quarter, that is when you take the big effort to remove those obstacles. So you would stop running take the hurdle off the track and then keep going. Or if it's a wall, you would take it down brick by brick. So Erica, do you have any obstacles in your life that you are trying to remove? 
Well, last episode we talked about um, that I wanted to release grudges. Um, so, um, you know, the the person that I discussed um, in my binding spell, you know, it, because it recently has come up again as um, with this new friend, she's she's just an obstacle in my life that I don't want around anymore I don't like I don't want every time her name comes up to have this feeling of black hole in my stomach you know I just I'm ready to be like she can live her life and she can do her own thing and it's not a part of me and it's not I'm not involved in it anymore so I'm ready to take down that hurdle. Do you have a obstacle you're removing, Maggie? Yeah, we my release at the full moon was about my expectations for myself and um, other people's expectations. And I think that, that that's something that I've been trying to do for a very long time and you know, it takes it takes a lot of removing bricks. So I think I'm continuing to remove as many bricks as I can from that wall that kind of keeps me from doing things um, because of that perfectionism energy, feeling like if I can't do it right, then it's not worth doing. Or um, if I can't do it to what I expect of myself or what I think other people expect of me, then it's not worth doing. So I'm still removing those bricks of that wall. And I feel like it's uh, to the point where I can actually step over it. So I don't have to go around the wall anymore. I can step over it. <laughs> and I'll just keep, keep whittling away at that wall. So now we want to hear from you. If you want to go to witchwanderer.com, you'll find the latest game. This week, we have a game of this or that. Don't think too hard about the answer. Just choose whichever answer comes to mind first. And now we are going to choose our tarot card for next week, which is the Three of Cups. And the Three of Cups is often depicted as three people celebrating. So it's uh, generally about friendship and team spirit and excitement and exuberance, abundance, healing, and just the general like merriment that you have when you gather with friends. Um, it's also about making new friends and being part of a group, feeling like you're included in something, having people that you can share your happiness with and who will be happy for you as well. Um, it's about the community spirit of lifting each other up and putting trust in other people. And it's about celebration. So Erica and I will be looking at these in our lives throughout the week. And we hope that you all will as well. Um, and we'll share our stories next week. Man, in a post-COVID world, it's going to be hard to pick just one story. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> If you have a story that you want to share with us about either the Three of Cups or the previous two tarot draws, you can email us or send a voice message to we listen at talkwitchcraft.com. You can also find out more about this episode by going to mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash 026. Join us next week when we talk about magical cleaning. Make sure that you subscribe so that you are notified about each new episode. And to help other witches find this show too, 
please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Mumbles and Things and join us in the Mumbles Academy to chat about this episode with other witchy folk. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.